Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Amen, and good morning once again, church. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you join me in the book of Philippians? Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We've been navigating this letter together for a few Sundays, and I am grateful that God has led me to it, and I have been encouraged by your feedback. Uh, Many of you I have texted or emailed or called or grabbed me in the hallway and said, you've been really uh, excited about Philippians. And so I, I'm, I don't know if that's because I'm excited about it or God's working, but uh, I'm grateful for it. And, and if you're new to North Roanoke or new to Philippians, it's in the New Testament. It's sort of in the last third or even last quarter of your Bible. It's on page 1,179. In mine, I don't know if that helps you or not, but if you need to grab a table of contents, however it is you need to get there, please find your way to Paul's letter to the church at Philippi that we know as Philippians. And as we consider this letter, it's helpful to remember the context. Paul is writing to a church that he had planted in Philippi, and he's in prison, most likely in Rome, and the church in Philippi has sent a messenger to Paul named Epaphroditus to bring him a financial gift and to give him an update on what's going on in the church in Philippi. And and as we'll see when we get deeper into the letter, there's some external opposition that they're facing and there's there's some internal murmuring and fracturing likely. And, And so Paul is encouraging them with this letter to stay united and to stay focused in spite of the opposition that they face. And so early in this letter, he's been building a foundation that he's going to build upon later to urge the church to humbly pursue unity in the gospel and to stand firm in the face of growing adversity and opposition. But before Paul directly addresses the situation in Philippi, he's going to share a little update on himself. This is a, a friendly letter. It's a thank you letter. It's a letter of friendship and I know in the age of email and texting, we don't send friendly letters much anymore, but it wasn't that long ago that people had things called pen pals, right? And you would write back and forth, and you would write a letter, and in that letter, you would tell about yourself. You would give an update on on what's going on. It was the same in Paul's day, and yet in this case, the the update that Paul provides on himself is kind of like the greeting that he provided earlier. Rather rather than saying greetings to you, he says grace to you, and now he's going to transform the update on himself as well. And rather than just updating them on what's going on with Paul, he's going to update them on what's going on with the gospel. So as we read verses 12 through 18, I want you to notice how little Paul actually says about himself or his being in prison and how much he says about the gospel and its advance. Would you hear with me from verses 12 through the first half of 18, the word of the Lord. 
I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Would you pray with me? God, we we ask that you would edify your church today, that you would build us up in the gospel and for the gospel. And Lord, if there's anything in us that needs to be removed, anything that we don't have that you need to add, that we would be open to receive that by way of your Holy Spirit in the hearing of the word that you have inspired for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this summary about Paul, about what has happened to him, verse 12, what we discover is that Paul is so connected to Jesus and so consumed with Jesus' mission, it's that he reports on his life not through the lenses of his imprisonment, but through the lenses of how it's going with the gospel. I love what Fee says about this. Paul's personal life is so completely taken up with his calling that to reflect on his imprisonment and how it has furthered the gospel is to reflect on his life. To reflect on what's going on with the gospel is to be talking about himself. To endure for Christ in the gospel then and to maintain joy in the process, the first thing we ought to see in this text is we need to prize the advance of the gospel in all circumstances and seasons. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, if you've got cancer, uh, if, you're, uh, if you've got days to live, if you've got all of your life ahead of you, we need to prize the advance of the gospel. In, in verse 12, Paul begins with what has happened to him. Now what has happened to Paul? It wasn't that long ago that we considered the book of Acts and we saw a lot of what has happened to Paul, didn't we? From the time he gets to Jerusalem to bring the offering to Jerusalem, what happens to Paul isn't very fun, right? He's beaten and falsely accused and imprisoned in the temple, and then he's taken to Caesarea where he's still in prison, and he's there for a couple years, and then he appeals his case to Caesar, and he faces a shipwreck, and then he's bitten by a snake, and then he gets to Rome, and he's put under house arrest where he's awaiting, apparently, an opportunity to finally defend himself. So imagine if you're Philippi, you are this church that has been planted by Paul. You're concerned about your church planter. You're concerned about the man that God has used to birth your church because he's in captivity. Imagine what you're thinking about Paul. Imagine if you had a friend or a relative who's in prison for the sake of the gospel, what you might be thinking about them. Maybe, maybe he's feeling defeated or discouraged. Maybe if Paul writes back to us, he'll tell us of of his dreams of being back on the mission field and headed west toward modern-day Spain and fully engaged in the sweeping drama of the progress of the gospel for King Jesus. Perhaps he will tell us how awful prison is, 
that he feels confined and limited, that he hopes that God will see fit one day to use him again. Maybe Paul is only about the mission if he's on a mission trip. Y'all, y'all understand that? You're supposed to be about the mission everywhere, right? Maybe Paul will only be about the mission if he's on a mission trip, if he's out there doing something big for God. If there ever was an opportunity for Paul to have a justifiable pity party, it's right now. And what do we see in verses 12 through 18? We see anything but a pity party. He's as committed to the advance of the gospel as a prisoner as he is when he is a traveling preacher. Some of you are like, man, when my kids get older and then I'll have an opportunity to care about the gospel. When I, when I finally retire and get more freedom, then I'll have an opportunity to care about the gospel. When this happens, when my toddlers become kids and I don't have to worry about potty training them anymore, then I'll care about the gospel. Y'all ever been there? Right? I'll get around to the gospel one day, and if you take the perspective of getting around to the gospel one day, you'll never get around to the gospel. There's always going to be a reason, there's always going to be a diversion, there's always going to be something that will stand in the way of you and the progress and the advance of the gospel and playing your part. And Paul is in prison in Rome. If anybody's got an excuse, Paul's got it. But what do we see in Paul? He's as committed to the advance of the gospel as a prisoner as he is when he is a traveling preacher. And what has happened to him, and and a lot has happened, look at what he says in verse 12, has really served to advance the gospel. He doesn't just say it has served to advance the gospel, he's really served to advance the gospel. Why does he add the word really? Because it's like you're not going to believe it. Like if Paul doesn't put the word really, he's going to be like, oh, that's just Paul saying what Paul has to say right? Oh no. Believe me, he's saying. It has served to advance the gospel. And he he calls the church at Philippi, he calls them brothers, in this case meaning brothers and sisters, because they've been brought into the same family through faith in Jesus. Through the sacrifice of God's son, they've been adopted as God's sons and daughters and therefore are brothers and sisters through faith in Jesus. They belong to God as their father. This is the good news of the gospel. And Paul says, brothers, my imprisonment has really served to to advance the gospel. The word gospel is used nine times in this short little letter. Paul is consumed with the gospel. And what does Paul want his spiritual family, his true brothers and sisters in faith to know? Not that prison stinks or that the food is lousy, but that the gospel is advancing. When you go to the hospital and you're waiting on a diagnosis, you're there not just to get well, but to spread the gospel. When you go to a rest home and you still have the ability to speak the gospel, you are there for the gospel. When you get the short straw at work to go to some lame conference that nobody wanted to go to, and you end up going with your colleagues who are far from God, you are there for the gospel. Paul is in chains, but the gospel is not bound. Paul can't report on himself without focusing on the state of the gospel because the gospel is his priority. Before his own safety, his own comfort, his own freedom, his own health, his own security, Paul's about the gospel. The word advance here, 
was used in the first century of blazing a trail before an advancing army. Paul is being held captive by the Roman guard and he says the gospel's advancing for King Jesus in ways you couldn't imagine. Paul wants the Philippians to know the mission is still moving forward even though he's physically stuck. And get this, it's not that the gospel is advancing in spite of his imprisonment. It's really serving to advance the gospel. In other words, Paul's imprisonment has not paused the progress of the gospel. It has promoted it. Have you ever been in a place in life that you thought that God couldn't use you? You were so consumed with something going on in your family, a health crisis. There's just no way God's going to use this. And then suddenly God starts opening the doors to people you never even knew existed before because they had the same challenge and they lacked hope, but you have hope. And then suddenly... You're in a whole community where you can speak the gospel that you never could before. I think about my my friend whose son had childhood cancer. He got within a few moments of passing away, a massive stroke. And I got a text on Christmas Eve, 2014, I believe. And we began to intercede and to pray. And God spared his son's life. And he is fully in remission. He's had to have a hip replacement because of what the, the chemotherapy has done to his body. But they were suddenly introduced to a world of despair and suffering and heartache that they'd never been a part of before. And suddenly they're sharing the hope of the gospel with people who would have never heard it. And the gospel was advancing in a place that was utter misery for them. But the kingdom was multiplied and Christ was magnified in the darkest hours. Here is proof positive that God can turn trouble into triumph. Here is proof positive that our King can take any situation and use it to bring the good news of His salvation to the world. This report is not only to encourage the Philippians about Paul, but also to encourage them, right? They're facing adversity in Philippi. Rome is amping up the persecution against them in Philippi. And what is he saying? Have a gospel-first perspective in your own situation. Paul's report, however, I, I don't know about you, but to me, without a little further evidence, quite frankly, it sounds too good to be true. Paul, you're in prison, dude. You're in Rome, guarded by the emperor's praetorian guard, and you're saying, this has really served to advance the gospel. You're going to have to give me more than verse 12. So he gives us verses 13 and 14. And he gives us two ways that this has resulted in the progress of the gospel. In verse 13, we learn that many more people, people that we probably wouldn't have expected, people serving at the heart of the Roman Empire, have heard the gospel. They've come to know that Paul is a prisoner because he's on mission in the cause of Christ. Now, in the translation that we read, it says that he's a prisoner for Christ, but, but the text, the original text says he's a prisoner in Christ. Now, is Paul a prisoner for Christ? Yes, absolutely. He's there on behalf of the mission. But I think this is one of those times that the preposition really matters. Paul's not just for Christ, he's in Christ. The gospel church is not just changing sides. It's being changed on the inside. You you can't just say, oh, I'm just going to follow Jesus for a little while and do it in your own strength. You've got to be changed inwardly. That's what baptism represents, that we have been dead. We've been 
crucified in Christ and we've been raised to live in a whole new way that God applied what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection to our heart and made us new. He gave us a new identity. I love what Pastor Tim Keller, who's recently gone to be with the Lord, said about this. Christianity is not something that you add to your life. It is an explosion that changes everything you had in life. We go from being our, in our sinful selves to being in Christ. And surely Paul is, is for the mission and he's for Christ. I love what Fee says here. Paul is saying this, It has become clear to many Romans that I am in chains because I am a man in Christ. And my chains are therefore in part a manifestation of my discipleship as one who is thereby participating in the sufferings of Christ himself. To be in Christ means to live like Christ in the world. And what did Christ do in the world? He went to the cross to save it. So don't be surprised if God uses Christians and churches who suffer for the sake of the gospel to show them a Savior who suffered for the sake of the sins of the world. Does this make sense? To be in Christ means to walk in the way of Christ. It means to go from being in our sinful self to being in and with and for Him. Paul tells us the whole whole imperial guard, verse 13, has heard that he's in chains in Christ. These were the emperor's own elite troops stationed in Rome. There were approximately 9,000 of them in Paul's day. These were men who existed to protect the emperor of the world's largest empire. And they were hearing of a man in prison on behalf of the king of the universe. Can you imagine how Paul's message landed with the imperial guard, who must have thought pretty highly of themselves? I mean, we are the imperial guard. We are trusted to protect the most powerful man we thought in the world. But you are in chains for the king of the universe. And the whole imperial guard knows about it. Now, when he says the whole imperial guard, he doesn't necessarily mean that all 9,000 of them have heard from him directly. What it means is the, the message has become widespread among the imperial guard. The imperial guard would have served on a four-hour rotation with prisoners. And Paul, every time he gets a new guardsman, what's he doing? He's telling the same gospel story. You want to know how I ended up here? You won't believe it. He just kept telling his story. You think defending the emperor is cool? Let me tell you about advancing the mission of the king of glory who will never die. The emperor is going to die one day. I serve a king. He's full of life. He's timeless. He's eternal. And it isn't just the imperial guard who's heard the message. He tells the Philippians that all the rest have heard the message as well. He likely means people who are connected with official Roman business, who had the occasion to learn about Paul and his confinement. And so he tells them about Jesus as well. Can you imagine for a moment that you are the Philippians and I am the reader of the letter for the first time? And you're, you're waiting to hear about Paul. Suspicions about Christians are on the rise in your own community, in your proud Roman colony, and their founding church planter is in prison. And, and what do they hear in this letter? The lordship of King Jesus is being proclaimed at the highest levels of the Roman government. The Roman government that's starting to persecute you, let me tell you, King Jesus is on the move, even in the halls of Congress, even in the White House, even on Capitol Hill, Calvary Hill trumps. 
if we would speak the gospel. The lordship of King Jesus is on the move. Paul's not pouting, he's proclaiming the gospel and King Jesus is on the move. But that's not all in verse 14. He gives us another way that the gospel is advancing. It's not just what Paul is saying to the people who are coming into prison. It's people who are finding out about him being in prison, proclaiming the gospel. And look at verse 14. Most of the brothers, meaning most of the Christians in the church at Rome, have become confident in the Lord. Now, I find that to be an interesting statement. Because if they're Christians, they should already be confident in the Lord. Right? If you're a believer, should you be confident in the Lord? You should be. And yet, these Christians have now become confident in the Lord. The Lord. The, the implication here is there's a particular sort of confidence. They've become confident to speak the word, meaning the message of the gospel. Let's be honest with one another for a moment. There's something a bit fearful about sharing the gospel, isn't there? I mean, there's like three of you who are like, no, nah, I got it. I'm macho man. No problem. I, to this day, there's a, there's a war that happens in my heart every time I know that God is calling me to speak the truth of the gospel. There's a little tug of war that's going on. We might be fearful about rejection. What if I share the gospel and they reject me? Well, they've not rejected you, they've rejected Christ. We may fear a question that we don't know the answer to. Have you ever done that? Like there's 75 questions that stream through my head that I'm like, ah, I'm not sure if I'm ready to tackle that one today, so I'll just not share the gospel. We may fear that this person saw us or heard us falling short of living like Jesus, and now we're going to proclaim how Jesus changed my life, and then I'm going to have to explain, well, why did you react that way when you were cut off yesterday on the way to Kroger? We may fear being alienated from our family or, for the, or from the in crowd at the office. And in Rome, they also had to deal with the rising risks of being a Christian where suspicion of believers would soon turn into persecution. So though the Christians in Rome had confidence in the Lord unto salvation, they had apparently grown complacent in sharing the gospel Fearfulness in sharing the gospel is not just a 2023 problem, it's a first century in Rome problem. It's a real challenge, and there's only one way to overcome fear of sharing the gospel. And what is it? It's confidence in the Lord. Verse 14, confidence that overrides all other fears. And look at what God did. He used the imprisonment of the one Paul to embolden the entire church in Rome, or at least many of the church in Rome. And when these believers see how God is using Paul from prison, they become confident in a fixed way. We will now be confident. We weren't confident, but if Paul's in prison and the gospel's going forward in prison, and I'm outside the prison, then I'm going to share the gospel. And they didn't speak with fear or trepidation, but with boldness and without fear. Some of you in this room are old enough to remember a t-shirt brand that was popular a while back, called No Fear. Y'all remember the No Fear t-shirts? Yeah, that's nobody. Okay, three of you. That's great. I, it's true. I promise. There was a t-shirt that said No Fear. And, uh, you know, everybody wants to, to not be afraid. Everybody wants to act like they don't have fear. And, and they, this t-shirt company, this brand capitalized on this idea that, that we don't want to be people who are fearful. And, and sometimes they had taglines on the No Fear shirts. 
one of my favorites that I, I still remember, and, and maybe I liked it because I lost a lot, it said this, I've never lost, I've just been a little behind when time ran out, no fear. Anybody remember that one? But if you think about that, that's pretty ridiculous, right? I mean, if you lost, you lost. When time was out, the game was over, you lost. And then there's some games that it's not dependent on time anyway, right? If I play Ethan in ping pong, it doesn't matter how many times, I've lost, right? He gets to 21 before I do, I lose. But as believers, we have something far more beneficial to us than a lousy t-shirt with wishful thinking plastered on it. Right? We don't have to put a t-shirt on. We can put on the armor of God by the way of the Spirit who fills us with Christ on the inside. We have the Holy Spirit who reminds us of the gospel, who leads us to delight in the gospel, to glorify Christ by delighting in the gospel, to lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel. And he emboldens us just as he emboldened the first century Christians to share the gospel without fear, even when the stakes were very, very high. What we see in Paul is that the advance of the gospel is more important to him than his own well-being or his own comfort. And if it's going well with the gospel, it is going well with Paul. How about you? If it's going well with the gospel, is it going well with you? What threatens to rob you of joy? What threatens to overtake the priority of the gospel in your life? Will you view your life through the lenses of your agony, your adversity, your suffering, your frustrations, your taxes, whatever else it is that's out there? Or will you put on Paul's gospel lenses and live in light of the priority of the advance of the gospel? Two very different ways of living. But how can we do this? How, how can we live for the sake of the advance of the gospel when there's a lot of mess in this world? There's a lot of adversity. There's a lot of trouble. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of problems. And sometimes there's even problems within the church. Even people will forget to say hello to you in the hallway or they'll give you a cross look. How, how, do, how do we handle this? We see it in verse 15, eight, 15 through 18. And it's so basic, but so necessary for us to be reminded of this day. We must seek the glory of Christ alone. It's that simple. We live for the glory of Christ alone. Beginning in verse 15, Paul expands on his report about the church being emboldened to share the gospel. And he gives us an unexpected twist, right? It's all good. The gospel's going out to the Praetorian Guard. The, the gospel's going out to people on official business in Rome. The, the church is being mobilized and encouraged to share the gospel. And then in verse 15, he tells us, indeed, there's some people who aren't doing it for the right reasons. The word indeed suggests that the Philippians may already be aware that there's some people in Rome preaching to undercut Paul. Some are truly preaching Christ, but they are motivated, verse 15, by envy and rivalry. They want to turn the gospel into hokies and hoes. They're motivated by jealousy or spite. They preach from a rivalry or desire for a, falling in verse, a following. Verse 17, Paul calls it selfish ambition. They preach accurately, but insincerely. 
Just before this passage, Paul prays that the Philippians' love will grow and abound and be pure, that it will be sincere, and yet Paul knows exactly what it's like to be the target of insincerity. Paul knows what it's like to be undercut by people who want to be successful or seen or influential or position themselves to undercut him at a later time. Indeed, Paul says, these preachers are thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment, literally supposing they will add pressure to my chains. It's not enough for them that Paul has chains and is in prison. They want to add pressure to his life. The presence of men preaching Christ and His grace to harm Paul is a great reminder of just how much we need God's grace in our lives to keep Christ the priority. These preachers have, at least for a season, come to see preaching as a platform for themselves. Their desire to be the next Paul or to undercut his influence is motivated by jealousy and pride. Fee says this, jealousy is one of the basest expressions of human fallenness. Out of envy, perhaps with an unsavory delight that enjoys kicking an opponent while he's down, they now view Paul's imprisonment as their chance to preach Christ and elevate themselves. Now there's two lessons here, right? First, if you are engaged in the work of advancing the gospel, if your priority is the advance of the gospel, whether you're serving or leading a 3D group, or preaching the gospel, or even taking the gospel to a pioneer territory, you may well encounter people motivated by jealousy or rivalry that leads them to do the right things for the wrong motives. They might want to position themselves to attack you later. Marita and Chan say this, they might criticize you unfairly, They might speak against you, they might disrespect you, and you might think this would never happen to you, but you should think again. And if it happens, the way to endure is not to be compelled by comfort or ease, title or position, or by what others think. You instead must be compelled by gratitude for Jesus that leads you to an unshakable commitment to advance the gospel for His glory, no matter what. The other lesson is to be mindful of ourselves, right? First, don't be surprised if somebody tries to trip you up or undercut you. They're saying all the right things for all the wrong reasons. But secondly, we've got to check ourselves. We've got to look at our own motivations. In our metric-driven and hyper-connected world, this is critical, is it not? Today, you can go to Facebook and you can see how many likes or clicks any preacher, any pastor, any gospel proclaimer all over the world has. The the world can quickly devolve into a comparison game. It's easy for us to become jealous when others succeed and take our eyes off of Jesus. It's a hard lesson to learn, and it's a lesson I'm still learning, but there's always going to be someone better than you. Tom Brady's record will fall one day. Nick Saban will not always be the greatest coach in college football. There's always someone coming along who's more relational, kinder, more eloquent, someone more energetic, someone who communicates the gospel better. But God, praise God, doesn't look at the externals. He looks at the heart. So our aim then must be to magnify Christ no matter the cost and to do it not from envy or rivalry or selfish ambition, but out of gratitude and love for Christ. 
And in Paul's case, there are some, praise God, preaching Christ from goodwill. You see that in verse 15? They're preaching Jesus for the glory of Jesus and the good of those that they're preaching to. And when it comes to Paul, their preaching is not only a labor of love for Christ, but also an encouragement to Paul because they recognize Paul is in prison for the defense of the gospel. They're not proclaiming Jesus to spite Paul, but to support Paul. What Paul cannot do for now, they are now doing for him as an act of love. So many in the church in Rome have been emboldened to speak the gospel, but some are doing it with impure motives. And that raises this question, what in the world is Paul going to do about it? Some preach Christ from rivalry and from selfish ambition, what in the world is Paul going to do about it? And before we answer that question, we need to understand that the people preaching the gospel with bad motives were still preaching the gospel. If, if they had been preaching a different gospel, Paul's response would have been very different. We know that because whenever a false gospel is proclaimed, Paul bows up, right? You can see the, the spines come out, the talons come out. In, in Galatians 1, 8, 9, Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we already preached to you, let him be accursed. And then he continues, as we've said before, and I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So let me begin, church, by saying this. There are a ton of false gospels out there, and we will reject them every time. We're not going to rejoice in them. We're not going to ignore them because false gospels send people to hell with a smile on their face. We don't rejoice in false gospels. We refute those who proclaim them and we replace what they are saying with the truth of the gospel. Is that clear? We're going to stand on the gospel delivered once and for all to the saints and we're not going to tolerate any false gospels. We can't. But in this case... The issue is not a false gospel. The issue is there are some preaching the true gospel but with wrong motives. And Paul's in prison. And the church at Philippi apparently knows about this. And what does Paul say? Like, what is Paul? What are you going to do about it, Paul? What are you going to do about those guys? Driving you crazy. I love the answer in verse 18. What then? Can I, can I translate that into 2023 English? So what? What does it matter? Who cares? Move on. Paul's not saying that motives don't matter. He's saying the message matters more. God will ultimately assess hearts, but Paul's utmost concern, whether people are operating in pretense, pre what does pretense mean? They're pretenders. They're saying the right thing, but they don't really love Jesus and they don't really love Paul. It's about them, and yet they're using the gospel as a way to platform themselves. So whether they're pretenders or they're genuine, really loving Jesus and really loving Paul, what is Paul most concerned about, supremely concerned about? He's concerned that Christ is proclaimed. The word proclaimed there is the same word for preached, that he's heralded, that he's announced, that his lordship and his kingship is declared to the ends of the earth. You see, how can Paul say that? How can Paul wake up the next day and say, I'm going to keep going regardless of the haters in my life? Because Paul's not in it for himself. 
He is fine to be a doormat or a doorman or even a prisoner who is kicked while he's down so long as King Jesus is heralded to the ends of the earth. I submit to you, North Roanoke, if we can grab hold of that perspective, wait and see what God will do in us and in our church. How committed are we to the gospel going forth? How committed are we to the gospel going forth? Uh, If you want to write that question down, it's a great question for all of us to ask of ourselves. How committed are we to the gospel advancing? If we have to decrease for Jesus to increase, are we okay with that? If we have to stop doing something fun in order to be faithful, are we okay with that? See, we're, we're in 2023 and there's some people just trying to have it both ways. There's some people that want to show up on Sunday morning eh, twice a month and never really go all in on the advance of the gospel. And then they're like, well, where's the joy of the Christian life? Where's the fun of the Christian life? The, the, The fun and the joy of the Christian life is on the front lines. It's in jumping into the deep end. It's not putting your toe in the water. It's going all in for the sake of Christ and His gospel. How committed are you to the gospel going forth? What inconvenience would you not endure for the gospel to go forth? Let me ask you a question. And I promise I'm almost done, but this is the application of the sermon. None of us is in prison as far as I can tell. Paul's in prison But for the gospel to go forward, you're going to have to be inconvenienced. For the gospel to go forward, I'm going to have to be inconvenienced. If if more people will hear Christ proclaimed, if we make a change in a program, are you okay with that? Or are you going to buck it because that's my program? If the menu is not perfect for the Wednesday night meal... But you being here to fellowship with somebody on Wednesday night that needs a word of encouragement, will you come and give a word of encouragement even though it's not the meal that you most prefer? I don't care if you go to Wendy's. Now, Wendy might not appreciate you going to Wendy's, but she'll get over it because she loves you. Bring a cheeseburger and be an encouragement to somebody. It's okay. If God raises up a preacher better than me, or a Sunday school teacher better than you, or a sound technician better than Bradley in the back, or whatever, what will we say? What will I say? That's the question of this text. Are we about Christ and the progress of the gospel, or are we held by lesser things? Are we about Christ and the progress of the gospel, or are we held by lesser things? May God give us a heart like Paul to say, it's not about me. If Christ is proclaimed, in that I rejoice and will keep on rejoicing. As our worship team comes, let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, King Jesus is worthy of our full attention He is worthy of our full devotion, our full praise. God, I ask that you would find us proclaiming Christ with our lives and with our mouths from pure motives. 
And God, I ask that when it's tough, that you would give us the conviction that Christ is worth it. God, that in marriages and in families and in parenting all throughout this room and in overflow and online, God, that you would work your will and your way and that you would mobilize us to be compelled without fear, to be bold proclaimers of the gospel for the glory of Christ alone. God, have your will and your way among us as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.